0: Good morning. There's a uh, old preacher joke about a man who was going on vacation and he asked his brother uh, to watch his dog and his cat and he called in uh, to check on how the animals were doing and uh, his brother said, listen man, there's no easy way to say this, your cat passed away. The man was just devastated, upset, you know, he's pretty far off, couldn't do really anything about it. He said, listen, next time, why don't you like lighten the blow a little bit, make it a little bit easier on me? And his brother said, well, how exactly do you propose I do that? He said, well, like maybe the first day I call, you say, hey, the cat somehow got up on the roof. And then like the second day I call, you say, uh, the firefighters couldn't get the cat down. And then on the third day that I call, then you let me know that the cat passed away. That, that, I think that'd be the most helpful thing to do. And he said, absolutely, I, c- I can do that next time. He said, by the way, how's the dog doing? She got on the roof. Um, and so, bad, bad news is certainly uh, hard to take, and 2020, man, I mean, just 2020, uh, it, it's, it's been a year that has been full of, of bad news, going to your favorite news site, or watching uh, your favorite TV program, or uh, reading newspaper for those of us that still do that, um, it just feels like kind of one piece of bad news after another, and we've been in this series uh, called the Uncertain Road, where Jesus, uh, in John kind of 13 through 17, uh, Jesus knows that his disciples are about to face this uncertain road ahead of them. Uh, he's going to ascend back into heaven. Uh, Persecution is going to break out against the church, and, and he knows how uncertain the road is up, up, up ahead. So if you ever have a chance to just kind of read it beginning to end, it is a very, very pastoral piece of the Bible, where Jesus is just saying, man, I know things are uncertain, but uh, I'm going to give you an advocate. I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit uh, to guide and direct your path as you're on this uncertain road. And uh, John 16, is, uh, verse 1, is where we're going to start today. And uh, we're just going to continue on in this series and just kind of talk about uh, the uncertain road and, and how we live on it, how we live in the midst of uncertainty. Here's Jesus. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're doing a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where no one can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. We're gonna handle kind of the good news And then eventually towards the end, we'll we'll get to the worst news uh, and, and try to kind of marry them together. But he says, the good news is that on the uncertain road, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter, Jesus uses a wide range of of ways to describe the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is going to come and help you on the uncertain road. And you may remember in Acts 2, when this happens, the Holy Spirit kind of gets unleashed on the church and they live different lives. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the apostles are kind of full of fear and they're full of anxiety and they're hiding and their faith fails. And in the book of Acts, it's like different people like they're full of uh, boldness and courage and they're preaching these incredible messages, it is the Holy Spirit that is transforming them and changing them and giving them courage to live the life they've been called uh, to, to live. And listen, while this is true of the apostles, it is true for you as well that every single person in the sound of my voice, whether in the room or at home, whoever can hear this message, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, he has given you his Holy Spirit to help you on the uncertain road. And we know that the Holy Spirit is at work in believers' lives, right? We've we've already studied some of the ways that the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit, for instance, is producing fruit in you. That as you remain in Jesus and Jesus remains in you, the Spirit is producing these fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Spirit is kind of supernaturally at work doing this. The Holy Spirit is gifting you The Bible says that everybody is given this kind of supernatural spiritual gift to love and serve and help people on the uncertain road. That for some, it's the gift of generosity or leadership or serving, but the Spirit is giving you, is hardwiring you for service toward others as you walk this road. I like how Paul described spiritual gifts to the church in Corinth. He said, there are different kinds of gifts, but they are all given to believers by the same Spirit. There are different ways to serve, but they all come from the same Lord. There are different ways the Spirit works, but the same God is working in all these ways and in all people. So everybody is gifted in a different way. Everybody has a unique contribution to make. Everyone has a different type of service that they're going to do. But every single believer, every single follower of Jesus has received the Holy Spirit and, and, is, and is, is gifted in this way. Again, the Holy Spirit is empowering us. We've talked about this before as well, but the same Spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead, imagine this just for a minute. The same Spirit that rose Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Is it working you, empowering you, and helping you along this difficult road that you're on, the uncertain road that you're on? He is helping you to live the life you have been called to live. And these, these things are true of every single believer that has received the Holy Spirit. Every believer that has received the Holy Spirit is having fruit developed. They are being gifted. They are being empowered. And I am absolutely convinced this is why Jesus says what he says next in verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How strange this must have been to the early apostles of Jesus. They had just spent three years beside Jesus, and Jesus beside them, that he was beside them when he quieted the storm. He was beside them when he performed countless miracles. He was beside them every time they saw his power on display. He had been beside them for three years, but Jesus is trying to teach the early followers of his a very important lesson. We'll throw it on the screen for you. Inside is better than beside. Inside is better because here on earth, Jesus could only be beside a certain amount of people for a certain amount of time. Not everybody saw all those miracles. Not everybody saw those acts of power. Not everybody had Jesus beside them for those three years. But he said, listen, inside, now that's a different thing. Inside is available to every single believer. Empowering, gifting, bearing fruit. And you see in this text this eagerness in Jesus to move from the last three years of B-side He's eager to usher in the inside movement of the Holy Spirit. And you ought to be glad and I ought to be glad that he ushered this in because now inside is available to all of us. The Spirit moving inside of us, empowering us, helping us, uh, gifting us. It is available to every single follower of Jesus. So we know the Spirit is at work in the lives of those that believe. But according to this text, The Holy Spirit is also at work in the world. Check out verse eight. He says, when he comes, the Spirit, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. When he comes to who? the, The Spirit wants to do this convicting work to show that essentially they've been wrong about Jesus. They've been wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. They were wrong to crucify him. They were wrong to turn their back on him. They were wrong about who Jesus was and what he came to do. So when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong. When he comes to who? Well, verse seven tells us, the verse right before. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he says to these early followers, I am sending the Holy Spirit to you. And when he comes to you, when he comes, he is going to do this convicting work in the world when it comes to sin and righteousness and judgment. Listen. I think there are a lot of ways the Holy Spirit does a convicting work in the world. There's a lot of ways the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. But one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit does his convicting work in the world is through the lives of people that have already received the Holy Spirit. It is through the lives of followers of Jesus that the Holy Spirit accomplishes this convicting work. And so what I want to do is I just want to cast a vision for you, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to cast a vision for you of what life could look like on the uncertain road and how the Holy Spirit could be using you. The Holy Spirit could be using you to demonstrate to the world that they've been wrong about Jesus, that they've been wrong about his grace, that they've been wrong about his righteousness, that they've been wrong about his lordship. The Holy Spirit can use you in this process. So let's take these kind of one by one, all right? The Holy Spirit wants to see the world proven wrong. I know that's kind of a, a jarring way to say that in, in our current day and age, but it's Jesus' words, so we're gonna use them, all right? I'm not up here to use different words than Jesus used, right? He wants to see the world proven wrong about sin, so let's talk about what is kind of the Jesus way of viewing sin. That, that sin, if you wanted to define sin the Jesus way, sin is just, it's an archery term for missing the mark. So anytime you miss the mark, uh, Jesus would, would say that sin. later on in this text, he says, the ultimate example of this missing of the mark is not believing in him. So the question becomes, what is the proper way, the Jesus way to view sin? And I I think there are three words I wanna share with you real quick. One is convicted. That sin is something we should feel convicted about. When we miss the mark, when our arrow goes awry, when we hit the wrong thing, when it comes to God's standard of truth telling or sexuality or relationships or work habits, any number of things, when we miss the mark, the Bible says we should feel the weight of that decision. Tell me if you've ever had this experience with your kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever, that you've spent like all morning baking chocolate chip cookies, All right, You leave the kitchen for two nanoseconds. You come in and three are gone. And you look at your little seven-year-old son or whatever, and he's got a chocolate chip mustache. And you're not sure like Holmes, but you think you know who did this. And so you say to him or her, did you eat those cookies? Like, no, I didn't eat them. I didn't eat, I didn't eat, why? They don't want to own their sin. So the response is no. We live in a culture, guys, that doesn't really want to call sin, sin, but here's, it has gone a little bit beyond that, if you'll allow me to wear my preaching hat just for a moment. We live in a culture that wants to call sin, righteousness. Right, So it's not just that we don't wanna call sin, sin. We wanna call sin the righteous thing to do and that's just not what Jesus taught. And this leads me to the second word. The first word is convicted. The second word is repented. That when we feel the weight of our sin, we turn to Jesus. The word repent, it literally means just, it's directional, it's changing direction. That I was pursuing this thing and now I am turning to Jesus and I am pursuing him. And let me tell you something about Jesus. He is faithful to forgive. He is a God of grace upon grace upon grace and kindness that never ends. So I shared this uh, story a, a week ago. I wanna actually read it to you this week about how changed these early apostles were. There was maybe no greater example of it than Peter. So Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus is crucified and he gets up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he gets up and he preaches this first message to the first church. And it is a bold sermon. You could entitle this sermon, You Just Killed Jesus, all right? That's the name of the sermon. And so I want to read you a couple lines of this sermon, and I want to kind of show you what we're talking about here. He said, therefore, he's been preaching for a while, he gets to the punchline here. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. I hope he collected the offering before he preached this, because... It is not going to be a good offering. All right, so um, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They're feeling the weight of their sin. They're feeling the weight of it. And like, what? we don't know what to do with this. You've just articulated to us that we killed Jesus. You've just articulated to us that we've done the wrong thing. We buy in, we did the wrong thing. We are feeling the weight of our decision. And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. That this promise of forgiveness this promise of the God of grace, it is for you, it is for your children, it is for everyone, for, for all of eternity. Grace is available. Forgiveness is available. You just have to turn to me. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt, corrupt uh, generation. Those who accepted his message were, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the biblical approach to sin is we want to be convicted We want to be repented, we want to repent. And then the last word in the Bible is to overcome. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, I praise God for this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we do not have to live in our old ways. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can overcome your habits, and your sin, and your hangups. And the Spirit helps us to do it. So the people of this world, here's what happens according to Jesus. They can become increasingly convinced about the right way to view sin by seeing these things in you. It's an amazing calling for us. It's a heavy calling for us, but they can become convinced about the proper way to view sin and the right way to view sin by seeing these characteristics in you, that they can see your convicted spirit when you are wrong. I know it doesn't happen very often, but when it happens, they can see it. They can see your repented spirit of you turning to Jesus for grace upon grace upon grace. And they can see your overcoming spirit. They can see the overcoming spirit inside of you. And the spirit will use you and your attitude about sin. The spirit will use your attitude about sin to convict them that they have been wrong about Jesus when it comes to sin. They'll see your conviction and they will be convicted they'll see your repentance and they will be driven to repentance they'll see your overcoming spirit and they will desire to overcome their own issues habits and hang-ups now part of what this means as Christians I think is that we need to be more transparent I think there's a long history of Christianity that we give our life to Christ and we feel this pressure to have it all together we don't have it all together I don't have it all together, I know you don't have it all together, none of us has it all together, right? We are works in progress, and so we need to be more transparent about where we fall short, because there's been this subtle pressure on all of us to never fall short. You argue, you fight all the way to church, you walk in the door, how you doing? Hallelujah, praise the Lord, never been better. Your kid's weeping three steps back, right? So, none of us has it all together we all fall short and when we choose transparency i believe we give the spirit an opportunity to work in the people's lives around us to say man i am convicted i am repentant and now i want to overcome and they can see that and the spirit will use that transparency to move people to realize that they've been wrong about this jesus guy all along so he wants to show them the wrong about sin he wants to show them the wrong about righteousness. So let's talk about the right way to view righteousness, all right? Define righteousness as it is uh, the standard of living set forth by a higher power. That God, in other words, God has a way that he wants us to live. And part of the reason our culture has gotten so turned around on righteousness, uh, on sin, is because we've lost sight and we've uh, lost sight of God's righteousness, that he has a standard in terms of the way he wants us to live. Paul, uh, the apostle Paul I think articulates this beautifully in Romans chapter 1 when he talks about the danger of sin. He says, here's what he says. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. This is just the power of sin. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Can you imagine, right? They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And as those who have received the Holy Spirit, we have an opportunity to show people a righteousness that comes from God. This seems to contrast what I was saying earlier about sin, about being honest when we don't have it all together, but it doesn't. Part of transparency is owning it when we fall short and pointing people to grace That man, I have fallen short and I serve a God of grace upon grace upon grace. And part of transparency is owning where we have been changed and pointing people to God's power. So when we fall short, we're pointing them to grace. When we are overcoming, we are pointing them to God's power that I am not owning the change. I am allowing the opportunity for people to see the change in me to point them to Jesus and they can see his righteousness in us. It's a great opportunity for us to have a high call in our lives to live righteous lives, a righteousness not of our own working, but a righteousness that comes from the result of the work of the Holy Spirit changing me and transforming me and making me more like Jesus. So the Spirit wants to prove people wrong um, about sin and, uh, uh, and this overcoming attitude and about righteousness, but the last one is about judgment. And he adds a tagline to this. He says, "Because the prince of this world now stands condemned." This is all about the power of the resurrection, that the Lord it is all about the lordship and the kingship of Jesus, that because of the resurrection, Satan is condemned. Which means death has no ultimate power. Sin has no ultimate power. Condemnation and guilt has no ultimate power. So again, how is the spirit going to prove Jesus is right about all these things? Many ways. The empty tomb's the biggest one, many ways, but one powerful way he wants to do this is for those of us that have already received the Holy Spirit, that they can see in us people that have been changed and transformed by the resurrection. that we are all in on God's power through Jesus. We are all in on the resurrection. We are all in on Jesus, and they can see in us a person for whom death holds no real power because of the resurrection. They can see in us a people who walk in grace, who overcome sin, who look to Jesus and the power of his resurrection as their Lord, and so they follow him. They can see in us a people, we're just different because of the resurrection. I know this isn't Easter, but if ever there was a year for two Easters, it is 2020, So you will allow me to preach Easter just for a minute because this is the Easter message. It is the power of the resurrection to change and transform our mindsets and our lives. Paul understood this. Here's what he said. Paul wrote this from prison, by the way. He said, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that, my being, uh, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. What on earth do you do with the apostle Paul who has been changed and transformed by the resurrection? All right, Paul, we're gonna put you to death. To die is gain. All right, no, Paul, we're going to let you live and we're going uh, we're, we're to put you in prison to live as Christ. That, that, that no matter what you did to Paul, he said, if I am called to stay, then my work for Christ will abound and abound and abound. Because of the power of resurrection, I, because of the power of the resurrection, I know I can accomplish exactly what God has called me to accomplish. So to live is Christ. But if Rome gets their way and if I am put to death and if that happens, he said, I think it would be better for me to stay, to continue God's, uh, to continue uh, to labor for God. But if that happens, if Rome gets their way, to die is gain. This is the power of the resurrection. It impacts this life. And you say, man, the, the resurrection power of the spirit is at work in me. And I can do exactly what God has called me to do. Pandemic, I can do what God has called me to do. Right? I, I, I don't have to live in fear. Uh, election cycles that are got, gotten a little bit nasty. I can live the life that God has called me to live. Difficulty, hardship, disease, all of that stuff. I can live this life because of the power of resurrection. You can't take that guy's hope. You can't take his joy. You can't take his peace. Because he is secure in the resurrection. He's not secure because he knows the future. He doesn't. You see a lot of "I think this is what's going to happen." I'm confident. I'm not totally sure, but I, you know, you, you see this kind of hedging language with Paul. I don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but he's confident in the resurrection. That whatever way it plays out, he's going he's to be on mission. He's going to be on purpose. He's going to be able because of the power of the resurrection. So I just want you to see, guys, on the, certain, on the uncertain road, we have an amazing opportunity. We can demonstrate conviction of sin when we mess up on the uncertain road. Um, I think there have been times where we've all messed up during the pandemic and we we can demonstrate conviction, we can demonstrate repentance. On the uncertain road, we can demonstrate righteousness that God has called us to live these righteous lives and we can demonstrate that on the uncertain road. Not our righteousness, but the one God has given to us through his grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we can certainly, on the uncertain road, demonstrate our hope and to our confidence in the resurrection. Now listen, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, but I'm telling you, he often uses us to accomplish that goal. So let's play our part well. And I think understanding everything we just said, I think this will help us to understand the front part of this passage. So let's go back to that real quick. Uh, Verse one, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. A lot of times I've read passages like this, maybe you do too, where I'm like, what is their problem? Christians are some of the nicest people I know, (laughs) right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's like, you know that guy with all that joy? Let's put him out of the synagogue and kill him. Like, dude, you're being a little testy, all right? So I've always always been a little bit confused by passages like this until I understand the back end of the passage, that the Holy Spirit is using these Christians to to bring about conviction in the world when it comes to sin and righteousness and resurrection and judgment. And the truth is, no one likes to be convicted and no one likes to be proven wrong and the end goal is that repentance will come. They'll realize they were wrong about Jesus and turn to him. But if repentance doesn't come, guess what usually comes instead? Anger. And who are you going to take your anger out on? Jesus is ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of God. You can't really be angry at him. Right? He's, he's up in heaven. So you take your anger out on his followers that's exactly what happened in the first century, and it's exactly what has happened every century since. That God has used Christians to bring about conviction in the world. He's used the power of his Holy Spirit to bring about conviction, and you can't take it out on Jesus, so you take it out on his followers. And I'll tell you, a lot of people are worried about anger And persecution and mistreatment being pointed at the church here in America. It's already happened globally, but they worry about it happening in America, and I get that. But can I share with you a little bit of a worry that I have? I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, but I'm worried that there will never be any anger or mistreatment or ostracization. And here's why I worry about that I'm worried that there will never be any anger because there isn't any conviction. And I've really gone back and forth about this next line and if you ever, if you want to take a look at my notes later, you'll see that this line's crossed out but you seem like a friendly crowd so I'm going to say it. I worry that there's no anger because there's no conviction and there's no conviction because there's no difference in the American church. And God wants to use us to bring about conviction. And my prayer for us My prayer for me and my prayer for you is that we'd be different and that people would see in us a joy and a hope and a peace in Christ Jesus, that we would demonstrate conviction and repentance and that we would be empowered by the resurrection and that people would be, yes, convicted by it, but another way to say it is that they'd be inspired by it and they would see that maybe, they, they would see you. This is a high calling. They would see you and they would see me and they would have this thought, Maybe I've been wrong about Jesus when they see you. Maybe I've been wrong about Jesus. And this honestly is the prayer that they would see that, they'd see how the Holy Spirit's at work in you, they'd be convicted, and they'd repent and turn to Jesus. The other option is anger, but it doesn't preach as well, so we're preaching this side. All right That they'll see you, and they're like, I've been wrong about Jesus. The way Jesus is working in this person's life, the way they're changed the way they're convicted, the way they're repenting. I have been wrong about Jesus and that many, many people would turn to him. That is a high calling on the uncertain road because right now everyone's just kind of running around with their hairs on fire. Um, wondering what to do next. And this takes strategy and it takes conviction and it takes boldness to say, I am going to live in such a different life. And I'm going to be uh, changed by the Holy Spirit, convicted by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, when my neighbors see me and when my coworkers see me, they have this thought I've been wrong. I'm going to give Jesus a second, third, fourth look. I'm going to give Jesus a different look because of the way you lived. Isn't that an amazing calling? What, is, what if what we think is bad news, so persecution historically would be categorized as bad news, and I agree that it is, but what if we, we, what we typically think is bad news becomes the thing that God uses to accomplish his mission? And so we, in our humanness, we would say, Man, that's bad news. A worldwide persecution, like is described in the book of Acts, worldwide persecution, that is bad news. But what if that was the thing that God used so that people would look at Christians? And this happened a lot, that they looked at Christians during the persecution. I've been wrong about Jesus. The way they're handling the persecution, the way they're managing their life, the way they're managing their family in the midst of crisis, that's supernatural. Maybe I've been wrong about Jesus. No one would ever describe a pandemic as a good thing. Nobody would ever, you'd you'd be foolish to describe a pandemic as a good thing. But what if there's an opportunity in here for your neighbors and your friends and the people you love to look at you and say the way they've handled this pandemic, the way they love their family, the way their faith has been unmovable, the way they've conducted and carried themselves online? What if there's an opportunity here for people to look at you in the middle of a pandemic and say, perhaps I've been wrong about Jesus. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? It does require us to be different, though. And and that's the hard kind of bold truth is that that maybe some of us are realizing that, man, I've been a little bit angry. I've been a little bit henny-penny. You know, I've been a little bit of these things. Man, spirit, would you help me to live the life you've called me to live so that the people around me can say in the middle of a pandemic, they're different. They're different. Maybe I've been wrong about Jesus. Let's receive communion together. It's under your chair. What I wanna do is I wanna pray for us I want to pray that we would receive our mission with grace and love and that we would leave this place uh, inspired and, and, and ready to um, allow the Holy Spirit to use us whatever way he wants. If he wants to use me to convict people that they've been wrong about sin or righteousness or resurrection, uh, if he wants to, man, I gladly accept that call. I want to leave this place different. I want to leave this place that, that the difference is palpable and the difference can be seen and that they don't look at me and say, man, that, that dude's a rock star. That they don't, I, I never want them to have that thought, that that dude's a rock star. I want them to look at me and, and think, perhaps I've been wrong about Jesus. Perhaps I've been wrong about Jesus. And it's a high calling and it's a big calling, but empowered by the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us can do it. So I want to pray. I want to leave a little bit of time for you to thank God for his calling on you, to thank God for his resurrection, to thank God for his grace poured out through his death and through his blood. Uh, And then after a few moments, I'll kind of come back in, we'll close out the prayer, and then we'll receive communion together as a church family. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your calling. Your plan has always been to give the Holy Spirit and then the Spirit would convict the world. I really believe we're a part of what you want to do in this world. You just want to show people that they've been wrong about your son Jesus. And you want to use us to do it. Thank you. I pray we would accept the calling with humility and with grace and we would realize that it's not, you've not placed a calling on our life to do the convicting. You've placed a calling on our life to be used by the Holy Spirit. So I pray that we would have the right attitudes about sin and about righteousness and about resurrection and judgment, that we would understand your Lord, you're full of grace, and you're empowering us, and that people would see in us something different. These prayers and requests we lift up to you. His blood poured out. May we be changed by this message, that grace is available, that the tomb is empty, that the power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us. May we be changed by the message, and may we leave this place, and may people kind of see in our life something different and have this thought. That's been praying ahead of this thought all week long that they'd have this thought. Perhaps I've been wrong about Jesus. Perhaps I need to look at him again. And they have that thought because of you. And my prayer, and because of the Spirit's work in you, and my prayer is that we would have amazing conversations this week surrounding this. And that people would flock to Jesus who hadn't really given him a second thought before, but they'd flock to Jesus because they know he's faithful to forgive. They know his Spirit is powerful. They know his resurrection is real. And they, too, are forever changed just like you. God bless. Have a great week.